0: Hey guys, if you can even believe it, our documentary is coming back to a theater near you. Babe, where's it going to be? Well, we had a documentary. It came out in theaters in August, and it's coming back to theaters... That's what I just said. ...on January
1: 2nd. Yes. And again on January 9th. Yes. And it is in theaters nationwide and also in Canada.
0: Yes. If you have ever been curious at what one of our live events is like this is the rise women's conference uh, it's a two-day conference that we throw every single year and this is a documentary about that whole weekend for the cost of a movie ticket
1: there's a 90-minute feature-length documentary that is followed by a 30-minute coaching session from rachel the coaching comes directly out of girls Hub Apologizing. So for 15 bucks or less, you can come into a theater, have some community, watch what a live event looks like, and get a great coaching. It's an amazing night.
0: January 2nd and January 9th at a theater near you. For more information, you're going to go to Fandango, Adam Tickets, AMC,
1: Regal, Regal, Cinemark, Cinemark, Cineplex, Cineplex.
0: or Fathomevents.com. Welcome to the Rise Podcast. I'm Rachel Hollis, and I've built a multi million dollar media company with a high school diploma and a Google search bar. Each week, we'll be sharing tangible, direct advice or inspiring interviews with the same intention. These are the tools to change your life. Have you ever thought about building a business? that wouldn't just make money, it would also help people. Tori Jones has an incredible example of that. The company that she's built helps to fund artisans in Guatemala, their work is stunning, and I personally carried one of their purses for a year and a half, so I know all about it. This is an incredible journey into what it means to build a business you believe in. Hey, sister, thank you so much for joining me today on the Rise podcast. Um, I'm thrilled to have you here because I have been lucky enough to carry your gorgeous work around with me in life. And now we get to hear the story um, in real time. So will you tell listeners who you are, what you do, and how you got there?
1: Hey, Rachel, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my name is Tori Jones. I'm 32 years old and I'm the founder of Eshell shell Triangle. Uh, for those of you who don't know what e Triangle is, we're an ethically minded apparel company. We produce all of our goods in Guatemala and we also have our offices and shop here in Redlands, California. My mission with starting this company was to create a brand that's also ethical and also sustainable. So my little personal motto is support people fight the machine. <laughs> nice. And that um, that's because so many products have gone to machine made. So, and, and we do a lot of work. All of our weavings are hand woven on a backstrap loom, which is the traditional uh, style of weaving uh, in Guatemala and other Latin American countries. And In order to make this sustainable for the indigenous people and to continue, you know, this art form that is so closely tied to their cultural history, we have to only utilize handmade weavings. Because if people go to the machine-made weavings, you're losing that history and that culture and it's not going to be passed on to the next generation.
0: So tell me why Guatemala? How did this all get started?
1: Oh well, that's an easy one right there. My uh, my grandma moved to Guatemala when I was little, so about mm, three decades ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, so she moved down there, which is kind of wild when I think about it now, because there was you know not computers or cell phones or anything like that. She used to she'd walk to the phone company once a week to call back to her parents in California and tell them she's okay. <laughs> um, now she she kind of just travels all over. Um, and just spends part of her time in Guatemala now. So I grew up with that place in my life since I was a young child, uh, going down there, visiting people. We used to have, we were able to have some friends from Guatemala come and stay with us when we were kids. So it was a very big part of my life. And once I started going down there, it just felt right. It felt like I was home, you know, like these people are my people. And this place is my heart's home.
0: <laughs> and did you have a, a a background in fashion or this industry? Like, so you have this love <laughs> for the country and the culture, but how did that lead you to the business that you're in?
1: Yeah. So I did not. You know, I uh, I went to the University of Redlands, go Bulldogs, and my my education is in psychology and education. And so it's not in fashion at all. And actually before I started this, I used to teach inmates in prison. So completely different field.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, which I love. Like I yeah, loved that.
0: That's such important work.
1: Oh yeah, it's you know, if I if I hadn't started this business, I would have stayed there. You know, I, that was that was my career and I loved it. Like I loved working with inmates. Um it really I felt like the Lord just cracked open my heart for people that I didn't know I could love. And and I did. And so it was a really big blessing and it was an amazing experience. But it was also hard to, like any mom knows, I think I had three daughters by the time I started the company and left the prison. And so it was that kind of work. Uh, the the prison work working with inmates is really great, but it's also very draining. So a lot of times I felt like I was giving every good part of myself that I had to my inmates, and I didn't have anything left for my own kids. So as a time I was, you know, I was at uh, the prison working and then going down to Guatemala a lot and visiting. And I had started supporting some kids down there in, in their education, because it's not like, you know in the states you can't just go to public school and and it's paid for that that opportunity is not given to everyone freely you know you have to pay for your books you have to pay for your supplies you have to pay for a uniform and a lot of people can't afford that and once you get to a certain age if you're able to work then a lot of families will have you stop school and start working and help supporting the family and I, you can't blame them you know they need the income but they also they also need an education so i had started supporting a child, uh, Jose Mario, actually. Uh, my grandma actually was friends with his grandma uh, years ago. They, she worked for my grandma and they became really close. His grandma actually even spent like three months with us when I was a little kid here in California. So, so we've known their family for three generations and very close with them. And one time I was visiting on a trip with my grandma and we were at their house. I want to call it a house, you know, dirt floors, no bathroom, no running water, but we're still there visiting and they're, you know, serving us a meal. And I was talking to him and he, he was so bright. I think he was probably like 10 at the time, maybe 11 uh, really bright. He was starting to learn English and he started telling me a story about how when he grows up, he wants to become an architect because he wants to be able to build his mom a real home because she's never had one before. And I was like, okay, well, I will make you a deal. (laughs) If you stay in school, I will pay for you to go to school. (laughs) So right then I was like, well, that's it. You know, I gotta, I gotta send this kid to school. Um, I have children of my own, I understand how it is. And hey, I was still paying off my own student loans. (laughs) But, but I, I saw the importance that education can give someone not only a child, but I saw that when I worked with inmates, also, Uh, education is freedom. And, you know, it can come in many forms. And if I can help, I'm going to so I started I was still working at the prison. I started sending money down every month for him to go to school. And not only him Jose Mario, but also his um, his younger siblings. And so they were able to go to school. And after doing this for a little while, I started feeling well, maybe like a little bit of a feeling of discontent, I think, when I was at work and also wondering like, okay, I'm sending money down to these people, but really what could I be doing in Guatemala to create the funds there it just seemed like it would make more sense to me you know
0: yeah yeah something that's more sustainable for sure yes
1: more sustainable like what is that saying you know you can give a man to fish yes yes absolutely
0: Absolutely.
1: (laughs) so so I started thinking about that and going over things like okay well what what could I do? And that was really, the whole mindset was not like, oh, I love bags and accessories, which I do. Um, But that wasn't the first thought. The first thought of my head was, okay, what, who do I know that I can connect with? What can we make? And how can we utilize, you know, what we have available to us? Then I remembered when I was younger, my uncle and aunt had a hacky sack business so I don't know if you remember like how popular hacky sacks were
0: uh, 100% <laughs> I remember hacky sacks I never knew how to use one properly but I wanted yeah. to so bad
1: <laughs> yeah so my uh, my uncle and aunt and my cousins they had a business like 20 years ago called guada bags and they were like all over and they were woven you know yeah, hacky sacks. I actually bags.
0: know what you're talking about they were like not stitched but I know exactly what it, you're talking about yep yeah yep
1: so, so that was their business, and so I started, you know, talking to my family, like who did you work with, um, how do, can we do this, and just just started, you know, contacting people. So I went back down to Guatemala and, you know, met up with different people that my grandma had known or that my uncle and aunt had worked with, and just started sharing my idea, like, hey, I think I had narrowed it down to that point. Um, of like bags and camera straps you know smaller accessories because i felt like i didn't want to do clothes because it was too size specific
0: yes one I size thought, fits all is the jam
1: yes yes and i'm like it doesn't matter how big or small you are a bag's going to look good on you
0: totally
1: <laughs> so that's that's kind of where it started and i over like a year i saved up before I quit, um, you know, teaching at the prison, I saved up about $15,000. And I quit. And that's what I I used that money to start the business. (laughs) I didn't I've never taken out a loan. I've never done anything. I just my mindset was I need to keep my costs low. And I want to start off utilizing the the money that I've saved, I never want to go in debt for something. And And just grow with the business because, you know, whenever anybody's too big to fail, that's when you fail. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know, I wasn't gonna go get loans. I wasn't gonna get a big store right away. I started out in my garage, spent the $15,000 on leather and weavings and paying all of our workers and import fees and hiring an attorney to set up my LLC and get everything right. And then just slowly grew with it.
0: Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees. Period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash Discover Bank. Member FDIC. I love, love, love that because I am in the same place that you are. Like I have never taken money. It's all like I I would work really hard. I worked multiple jobs to be able to start the business. And I did you know events and things that I didn't want to do for years to be able to fund starting the blog and kind of turning it into mm-hmm. what I wanted it to be now that was so hard and now it's super popular in this space everybody's getting funding and everyone's got venture capital money and it's like so sexy and I'm over here like, yeah, but I own 100% of my business. I've never, <laughs> I've, and I've, you know, yeah, that meant that we couldn't go out and hire 50 employees right away. But we have, you know, we've grown really slowly, but we've grown and we've done it by our own work and on our own backs. And so it's something I'm really proud of. And I dig hearing that from another entrepreneur, especially a woman.
1: You, you really just spoke to all of it right there that once you reach, the goals that you've set before yourself, you feel a really great sense of accomplishment knowing like, Hey, you know what? I worked my ass off and I did this and I don't owe a bank and I, you know, 50 people don't own part of my company or however many it's, you know, it's mine. Absolutely. Like this is my baby.
0: <laughs> so what year was this? What year was this when you, when you, started? that
1: was two thousand.
0: 13. Okay. So you buy all the stuff, you you start producing bags. Is it Mm -hmm. just, is it just purses to start with?
1: Purses and camera straps. So we had three sizes of bags. We had like a small, medium and large.
0: (laughs) And how did you sell them? Like once you get a product, like how do you start selling?
1: Well, this is, you know, the great thing it's like in my garage. Right. Um, so I, we had set up Though I had gotten a website set up, like that's where the money went to. I, you know, paid a business attorney to set everything up legally. I paid somebody to create my website and my logo, and do my branding. But then I maintained the website, so I just had them start it, and then to do the products. And that's that's all the money I had. I didn't have money to, you know, rent a shop or office or anything. I was out of my garage, and I just started um, would give product to like friends or family and had mostly word of mouth. So it had just started out word of mouth and I would either have people come to my garage and buy bags, or I would seriously like load up the back of my car and I would drive people's house like, Oh, you want a bag? Um, they'd, you know, text me. (laughs) Um, Or call me like, oh, I I heard that you sell purses, and I'm like, yeah. Where do you live? I'll come bring you some to choose from. Wow! (laughs) And I just like open up the trunk of my car, and there'd be a spread of bags, and and then I would sell it like that. That's awesome. (laughs) yeah, it's um
0: when you were first It's
1: pretty funny. when
0: you were first in that space like did you understand about margins? Did you like did you have a good handle on that side of the business because I feel like that took me a really long time to understand.
1: It, yeah, it took me a little bit like, oh, I need to you know, make this much money to actually make money. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um and you learn that after you think you're doing good? And then you realize like, "Oh, really, I didn't make that much money. Why not? Mm. you know and you don't take into account like, yeah, you know how much it costs you to make a product, but you don't take into account for me, for example, um, you know shipping customs fees, um, import and taxes, and all of these things that you don't really think about when you're coming from uh, a different kind of career or job. <laughs> And so so it, it took a little while.
0: And so how did you um, how did you start to sort of gain traction both with who you were selling to and like the word of mouth and how you were selling? Because obviously today you are not still selling them out of the trunk of your car.
1: No, thankfully. <laughs> um, yeah, it was word of mouth and friends and family. And I was like, oh, I need to. Then I started a website. But then I'm like, well, how do I get people to come to my website? (laughs) Um, And this was, I remember I did not have an Instagram and I did not have a Facebook, which I think I'm sure they were around then. I just was not up on that because I'm not cool with technology at all, Um, which is funny because I have a business that's primarily based online, but I don't handle that part of it. (laughs)
0: Like we hire people for that.
1: Yeah. um, You know what? One of the best pieces of advice that anybody ever gave me was like, if you're not good at something, do it, you know, do it as long as you do. But once you can afford it, hire somebody else to do that. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And it it was a really great piece of advice. But, um, but yeah, so I would say, the biggest thing that I had going for me was that I started a business in a community that I grew up in. So um, I went to school here in Redlands. I went to high school, like a really small went to Montessori school. My graduating class was like 23 kids. And then I went to the university of Redlands and I have lived here. My kids go to school here. And so I'm very closely tied into the community and lots of businesses and other entrepreneurs that are here that I kind of just went around to some people like, hey, I started this business. Look at, here's some examples of you know things that I'm making. Do you like them? <laughs> Are you interested in them? Do you want to sell them? And right away, I had support. I didn't have one friend that I went to that told me no.
0: I feel like it's important to say too, though, if you guys have never seen Tori's product, it's gorgeous. So that helps. Um, just <laughs> just for anybody who's listening who are like, oh that's it. Like I just need the friends. You do need the friends and you do need the connections and you do need the courage to ask. But she also had a really beautiful product. Because it Thank yeah, you. because it is. And if you don't follow <laughs> them on Instagram, you absolutely need to go just if nothing else for the gorgeous, gorgeous photos. Um, but you had a product yeah. that you believed in. You had a product that had a story. Um, it felt sort of missional, it sounds like to me.
1: Oh, for sure. That was the driving force. Yeah, course, that for was sure. your
0: why. Um, so you yeah. you get in some local boutiques. Is that how it started?
1: Well, funny actually, one of them was just a local boutique. Um, uh, lady, I gotta say hi, Trisha. She owns these stores called Nectar, and then another one now that's called For Good, and they have they're all over Southern California. And I had gone to her house because I knew her family, showed her my stuff. And I'm like, hey, can I get this in there? And she was like, yeah, for sure. It's great. And she really gave me some very good pieces of advice, you know, on how maybe a suggestion of maybe what I should change on a product or how I could market it. And that was, you know, that's kind of priceless advice. But like you said, I had already done all the legwork for like a year in creating a product that I felt proud enough to put out there. So I got into her store. And then also I have another friend that I went to high school with, um, Ryan Burke. He, um, he owns ice cream companies and a chocolate company, which uh, doesn't go with bags at all. But they're, they're pretty unique um, businesses and he loves to travel. And he was a big supporter of mine when I started and he let me put my bags on display with my cards in all of his stores. So nobody could buy them there, but they were just seeing them like, Oh, wow. It was really awesome. So, you know, they were just sitting there with my cards and it had my website it had social media on it. So then people are seeing it in person and then going online, buying, following, connecting. Um, and that was that was really awesome. So I had that, um, and then I had another friend that I went to high school with, who owns a company, Ame. She has a clothing company, and she contacted me. And was like, hey, I heard what you're doing. This is great. And she had already been around for a couple of years, and she's like, let's do something together. And she started promoting me on her social media. So yeah, it was like work your ass off to create this product that you're proud of, and then ask everybody that you know to help you
0: (laughs) I love it I love it that's so real how um how what year was that when it when it started when friends started to pick up versus where we are today
1: that I think that was probably that was like about four shoot maybe about four years ago five years ago it took it was like about I started company in 2013 And about by 2014, I didn't really have to, um, you know, be sticking it in other businesses to just be seen. So it took about, it was about a year of that, there was about a year of legwork to create the product, and then about another year before it was a good flow.
0: And... How big of a deal was Instagram for you? Was influencers for you? I mean, I feel like that's how I first found out about you years ago was I started seeing it pop up in my Instagram feed.
1: Mm -hmm. No, yeah, that was huge because as much, I mean, I hate to say it, but I kind of, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. (laughs) Like I love it for business, but for personal, I'm like, I gotta get this out of my so, life. Just cause you know, you start you start comparing yourself to everyone. And you know, what do they say? That comparisons a thief joy, of joy. Absolutely. And damn, that is true. <laughs> um, so I love it. Social media has been wonderful for my business. But for me personally, I'm like, I just need to take a little bit of a step back from that. Um, but business wise, it's great because when you're first starting out a business and you don't really have the, I mean, like we said, neither of us have borrowed money, right? To start our businesses. When you don't have the funds to do that, you don't really have a lot of money to have a marketing campaign or to hire a firm or anything like that. So having this tool available to us to just reach out to people that have a much larger audience and voice than you, it's priceless. And I've received so much love from that. People Genuinely loved our mission and our products, and and we're like, yeah, like we would, you know, I I, you have to pay people now, I think, but then you know you could just send them a product totally. (laughs) Um, And I would just send products out to people, and and not just that they loved the bags and what we were doing, but more importantly, I wanted people to be sharing that really cared about our mission of only making things that are handmade. creating an ethical business that we actually care about the people that we work with. And I know everyone personally that I work with and, and that we really follow through with, um, what we're preaching, you know?
0: Absolutely.
1: I am taking my
0: four children away this weekend to go skiing. market.com slash Rach thrive market.com slash Rach. What does the business look like today? Different.
1: (laughs) 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 Well, um, still everything is still hundred percent handmade, but it's not in my garage anymore. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So we actually have, um, you know, probably 90% of our sales are online, but we do have a really awesome space here in Redlands. It's an old drive through dairy that's been redone. <laughs> so it's, it's super cool. Um, that, anybody, it's here? an
0: old drive through dairy. That's yeah. It. Okay. All right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's pretty sweet. All right. Um, yes, it's, um, I think I'm sure there's, there's pictures on our social media, um, because we do events like every month we do events now. Um, so I've taken it, you know, it's an online business, but I've really wanted to build community around it also. So that's why with our space is pretty awesome. So we hold pop-up events, we hold, um, workshops with local community members, not, so not just, um, our products, like you can come in and buy bags, like during one of our workshops, but we're also focusing on creating a community of women in the area that can come together, you know, have a drink, eat some food, and then we do some kind of creative project. And a local woman is teaching that class. So whether it's jewelry design or calligraphy or Anything like that, it's we're building community around each other. And so nothing to do with purses, but it has everything to do with who we are. And so that's something that we've started doing recently.
0: And how big is your team now?
1: Well, (laughs) here in California, there's five of us. So like I said, uh, keep it small so that I, I like to keep my overhead low. And so we're here. In California, we have five, and then in Guatemala, we have uh, dozens of weavers and bag makers. So that's really where, as long as we can keep it small on this end, we're really able to keep it sustainable in Guatemala so that our artisans are getting uh, you know the majority the majority of the money is being kept down in Guatemala, and that's that was my goal. So they receive um all of our makers receive 25% of profits.
0: That's awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: how did you, did you like help to establish those businesses there? Or did you just find producers there in Guatemala who could help you get the product that you needed to
1: get? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, when we were starting out, I decided that I only want to work with co-ops. And I did not want to be in a factory. So. I've committed to never making my own factory and never working in one because I've seen what they look like down there. I've seen other businesses that claim ethical and and they're not. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to hold myself accountable to that and be very transparent. Business changes people, money changes people. And I never wanted to put myself in a position to be the person that did that. So... I committed to only work with co ops, and that's what we do. Um, Will you
0: explain to us the difference between a co op and a factory?
1: Yeah. So, the, I think the easiest way I can say is that a, a factory is I'm the boss, and I'm going to create these working conditions, and I'm going to say, This is the price that you're getting paid. And, you know, who and I can set low prices. (laughs) And then my, my profit margin goes up, but their way of living doesn't. So getting people coming to me to work for me that might not be as skilled, but they need money. That's the way I view it. And that's the way I've seen factories function in Guatemala and in many countries. Now the co-ops, and I'll say this also, it's a, they're all indigenous co-ops too. So I work out in the highlands and by the lake. So not in any cities. They're in small villages. Got it. They're groups of indigenous people that have come together. They decide what is fair for them to make. And we come to agreement. So we are standing on common ground.
0: That They have a say in, as the artisans, they have a say. It's Yes. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Exactly. And it's not, because when it's more one-on-one, um, me coming into another country, telling you how I need something done and how I want it done, it's not—it's not a good situation, and I—I I didn't like how I've seen that um, unfold, mm. and I've seen it happen uh, with you know a lot of people that I work with have worked for other companies, and the stories that I've heard are, are really disheartening because I've seen other businesses that claim lots of things and don't follow through with it, and nobody knows. You know, nobody's the wiser because it's happening in a third world country to people that don't have voices. You know, they don't have thousands of followers that are hearing what they're saying. So I thought it was my job to work with these people on common ground and to establish a business that was fair to all of us. And that's what I've been able to do. So with the co-ops there, you know, it's a community of people coming together and saying like, this is how much it costs us to make this weaving. And this is what we think is fair. And then I'm like, you know, and we can negotiate, that's fine. But I'm not taking advantage of anyone.
0: So one of the things that I'm curious about, is Mm -hmm. what do you think gave you like the nudge that you needed to make change. Because I think a lot of women listening to this right now have ideas, have dreams in their hearts, have a what if, you know, what if I did this? What if I tried that? But you actually did it. And not only did you do it, but you managed to make a sustainable and successful business that serves you and your community and serves the community in Guatemala. So how do you feel like, like, what was the thing? What pushed you over the edge? If someone's just like still nervous and scared, what advice could you offer them?
1: Well, I know it sounds cliche, but what do you have to lose? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, girl, they will tell yeah. you like fear, money, respect, yeah. like all those things. So what do you say?
1: Yeah, a, a lot of it. And, you know, I was just talking to somebody the other day and and I decided that the difference between courage and stupidity is just the outcome. Oh, you know? man, that is so, so good. That's so good. But it's true. Yes, you're right. I, I, You know, I could have quit my stable, well-paying career, and I could have started this business, and it could have failed. And everybody in my life could have said, well, that was a stupid move. But it didn't. So now everybody in my life says, wow, that was really courageous.
0: <laughs> Gosh, that's so true. Oh, I love that. I love
1: that. You just have to – you have to be willing to fail. Yeah. And, and you might. But if you keep going, eventually you won't.
0: Dang it. <laughs> I, there's like literally nothing else to say. That is the <laughs> mic drop moment. That is so, so good. I agree completely because I think if you – looked at my career at any point in the last 10 years, there are plenty of people who thought I was stupid, like so stupid. Like, (laughs) what are you doing? And now suddenly everything's taking off and everyone's paying attention and it's all working. And everyone's Mm -hmm. like, wow, man, you were were a prophet. Like you just saw Mm -hmm. the writing on the wall. I'm like, no, I just kept going. I just, I knew there was something there and I just kept going.
1: Yeah, everybody wants to go to the party when it's already going. But Amen. nobody wants to come in when the alcohol's not there and there's no food <laughs> and
0: <laughs> totally. Nobody wants to set up the chairs. Yep, yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: But oh you gosh. you have to know like if I think, you know, you, you feel it in your bones and you know in your heart of heart is this gonna work or not? And and for me, I just felt like it was just something I- do. And that's one of those times. And I think in my professional career, and then also my personal life, I've had to tune out what anyone else says and tune out other people's advice, even if it might have been sage advice. (laughs) And I just had to go for it. You know? Um, I love it. I've, I love it. I've been through a lot of, a lot of obstacles, I guess you could say. And, and I always knew, I would be okay, and I can get through it because I had confidence in myself. Um, I think self doubt is is one of the the hardest things to get over. But really, surrounding yourself with people that aren't going to be telling you the opposite, you know, you just you just have to go for it.
0: <laughs> I love that, And. Tori, yeah. if people are dying right now, they're like, this all sounds amazing, but I really want to see these bags. <laughs> Will you tell them where they can find you online and on social media?
1: Yes. Yeah, so we're com, which nobody ever knows how yeah, to pronounce. So you
0: spell, spell <laughs> it for them because they're going to need it. And we'll put it's, it in show notes as well, guys.
1: It's I-X-C-H-E-L and then triangle, T-R-I-A-N-G-L-E. Um Oh, my gosh. I had so many people be like, are you sure that's really what you want to name your company? Because nobody can say it. And, <laughs> you know, and it's it's a, it's a mine word. Um, but I just knew it like I knew in my bones. Like, nope, this is the name of my business. And I don't care if anyone sa- can say it or not, if they can call me the triangle lady. And I get that so much. Like, oh, you have the triangle company. <laughs>
0: yes. Like, I'll take it.
1: I'm like, okay, yep. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, she Ishel is a uh, she's the Mayan goddess of fertility and midwifery and I had my girls at home with a midwife and I was like, "Ooh, I like that. I got to mm-hmm. go for it." Mm,
0: that's awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: sister, thank you so much for hanging out with us today and thank you for sharing your journey and your story, which I know is going to be so inspiring for all of the dreamers who are listening, who have that little calling on their heart and maybe needed the nudge that you gave them today to, to live more fully into who they're called to be. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Hey, all we should hang out on more than just this podcast which means that the next time you're on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, be sure and type Rachel Hollis into the search bar and check out all the fun things we have going on on your favorite platform. The advanced reader copies of Girl Stop Apologizing are officially out in the world, which means for the first time ever, people besides my editor Are reading my new book and I can't wait for you to read it too. I wrote Girl Stop Apologizing because I wanted to give women permission to do just that. Stop apologizing for who you are. Stop apologizing for the dreams and goals and hopes you have for your life. The tagline for this book is a shame-free guide for embracing and achieving your goals. So if you have big, audacious dreams for your career, or great, fantastic personal goals for yourself, this is the book for you. It comes out March 12th, and you can pre-order now on Amazon.com.